it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We have a big hour coming your way. We're going to look at the Democratic challenges, although they are having some advantages when it comes to fundraising, but not in terms of polling. John Rainish on that. Uh, and we're going to be also noting that it is Cyber Monday. And you can put the radio on while you go online. It's a perfect match. It's been done before. We have a lot to cover today, including something that could be happening in the middle of the show. And that is we're coming to the end of the four-day pause to allow the hostage to be released. The deal was if you allow 10 to come out, you get an extra day. What has happened? I don't know. It's coming down to the exact wire. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Donald Trump's been leading wire to wire and big. Right now, he's up 45 points plus on his closest rivals. It isn't the same, though, as in the early states. In Iowa and New Hampshire, he's under 50 percent, and that gives Trump's rivals a lot of hope. Wow, that is ABC talking about what could be taking place in 2024. Trump expands his lead in the primary field and in general beyond margin of error. Yet some still say he is beatable, as you just heard. And he'll spend big bucks and will spend big bucks to prove it. We're going to look at that and the unknown third party dynamic. Number two. It'd be very difficult to get it done by the end of the year. And the impediment currently is the White House policy on the southern border. Congress is going to require that there be laws changed to to make certain that the border returns to its prior state, you know, perhaps remain in Mexico, other types of provisions that would secure the southern border. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I think they could do it. Uh, A major push to rush aid to Israel, Ukraine and even Taiwan. But Republicans say not without border bucks and asylum changes. It's a partisan standoff. I think Republicans have the upper hand. Number one. It could be that the pause is extended for another day or two days or three days or even more. The ball is in Hamas's court on that because what Israel has said is that it is prepared to pause another day of fighting for every 10 hostages that Hamas releases. Hostage drama in Gaza. Dozens exchanged innocent Israelis for prisoners of Pal- prisoner Palestinians. The question now is, does the pause end or will they release those 10 and extend it even further? And does that work? For the big picture, and that is wiping Hamas off the face of the earth. Meanwhile, New York City bridge shut down on one of the busiest travel days of the year because there's pro-Palestinian protest asking for a ceasefire. You idiots. We're in the middle of one. Does anyone get a newspaper or can you download the New York Post? So this is where we're at right now. I give President Biden credit because he's getting pressure from his young base The squad, which is bigger than you thought, and I thought too, he's getting pressure from people inside his White House who demanded a sit-down with Anita Dunn to express their pro-Palestinian views. Do you believe this? And upset that President Biden is with Israel. And now President Biden's talking a lot about pausing, turning into a ceasefire, talking about Hamas moving out of Gaza instead of being erased from the planet. That gets me upset because it shows a wavering. Just please. Do the right thing once. Here's Benjamin Netanyahu talking about the truce, how long it will last, if at all. Cut three. Here is also the framework that says it is possible to free every additional day 10 more hostages. This is welcome. 
In the same breath, I also said to the president that at the end of the outline, we will return with full force to achieve our goals, the elimination of Hamas, ensuring that Gaza does return to what it was, and of course, the release of all of our hostages. Yeah, so three batches of hostage releases. Uh, the last one, after a seven-hour delay, some I'm not sure what it was all about. Hamas gets 39 released all males yesterday. They got all females originally. 17 hostages, including one American citizen, were released from Hamas's control on Sunday. This is the only American. This comes after 24 hostages were freed on Friday. That was the first wave. In exchange for the freedom of hostages, Israel agreed to release up to 150 Palestinian prisoners. They gave a list of 300. They said, if, you've had, if you have Israeli blood on your hands, you're not getting out early. I don't know. It's going to be very hard not to do that. I mean, one of the people they released was looking to uh, uh, lure soldiers in to blow up her car, saying, I have problems with my car, ends up exploding. Her face ends up melting. She ends up getting out. So technically, does she have blood on their hands? That was their intention, and that's the, that's the sad part. Other people like that are getting another shot to do what they do. They don't rehab in prison. I mean, among the people that these these mutants picked up, Advent Adar, the grandchild of an 85-year-old released uh, released hostage, Yaffa Adar, said her grandmother had lost weight. She said her grandmother was taken captive, convinced that her family members were all dead, only to emerge to the news that they had survived. It looks like we don't know many details yet about their captivity, but the family members said they were given very little. They, was, they were fed erratically. They slept on rows of chairs. But at least they're out, and I'm sure they're traumatized. We'll see where it goes. The problem is all these Democrats want to cease fire, and the biggest disappointment is somebody who's really intelligent but is pretending like he's not, and that's Ro Kahana. This is what he says we should do a ceasefire now and look what we should do. Cut 11. I think we need a lasting ceasefire now. Uh, and I, I, I came out for that a few days ago. I'll tell you why. A couple uh, reasons. First, we need more of the hostages uh, to be released. And we've seen now that it's working. Second, uh, there's still Americans in Gaza. We need those Americans uh, and American families to be released. The third point is this. Israel has diminished Hamas's military capability. They now have troops to prevent another October 7th attack. But I just talked to the Saudi ambassador. I talked to the UAE ambassador. Here's the reality on the ground. There are 40,000 Hamas fighters, 40,000. Israel has killed 2,000. It is unrealistic that they're going to be able to kill 40,000 other Hamas fighters, let alone undermine the political and cultural influence of Hamas. So we need a real solution, and that uh, needs to be a a Palestinian state with an Israeli state. Nobody says it's easy, but I know one thing. What he said is ridiculous. Number one, you have to kill as many as possible. They already show what they're capable of. If you let enough out, they will reconstitute, finance by Iran under this administration, and come back again. You have to diminish their troops to almost nothing. And if they are going to be gutless and leave, that's the only way they survive. The Israelis will wipe them all out if they stand and fight. And if they're going to hide behind civilians, there's got to be safe passage the best they can to wipe them out. But this has got to be done World War II style. You've got to wipe out Hamas once and for all, who is gaining popularity now in the West Bank. More from Ro Kahana, Cut 12. Their military capability has been diminished with the bombing in northern Gaza. But their political support, and sometimes actually increases every time you have images of children and women killed. That's why there has to be a diplomatic solution. Until there is an independent Palestinian state, 
there is not going to be peace or security in that region, and America needs to show leadership. I believe our Gulf allies will help us if we bring the diverse Palestinian voices to the table. There needs to be one condition. Any Palestinian voice at that table needs to recognize the state of Israel, and then we need to work towards an independent Palestinian state. Okay, number one, they don't want to recognize Israel. Number two, please show me one or two rational Palestinians who don't want to wipe out Israel, who want to condemn Hamas. Okay, thought so. There is nobody. Tell me a two-state solution that we'd agree to if Mexico or Canada was trying to kill innocent Americans. I don't think so. We would not be saying, let's just create a state where all the terrorists can go and just rocket us every day. They did that with Gaza. How did that go, Rokahana? So I just, listen, I'm not saying there's an easy solution. I know that's not one of them. And you can talk to all the Arab leaders you want. They hate Hamas, but they'll do nothing to wipe out Hamas. They don't want him in their country, but it's okay for them to rocket the Israelis. So where is this two-state solution? Where is it located? How does it exist? Here's Mike Gallagher, cut 10. I think the broader risk is this. Well, one, if you just look at the terms of the deal, for every three terrorists that Israel is releasing, you're getting one innocent civilian released by Hamas. So Israel is releasing suicide bombers, terrorists who are stabbing Jews. And Hamas is, meanwhile, releasing 13-year-old girls, 9-year-old girls, reportedly some toddlers. So that just goes to show there's no moral equivalence here. We've also had past deals like this, notably a 2011 deal, whereby the current leader of Hamas in Gaza was released in return for an Israeli soldier that have come back to bite Israel. So that is the broader concern. Okay. Just don't waste anyone's time with solutions that you don't want to say to President Biden, and you just want to go with a friendly host and just put that out there. Rokahana should know better. I mean, he sounds like Bernie Sanders. Well, that should make sense because he did support Bernie Sanders. What am I saying? But he looked at himself. He looks at himself as a future presidential candidate. That's just a dumbed down version to help those people protest and stop and close bridges and raid schools and scare uh, and back anti-Semitic behavior. There's a there's a Democrat explaining a rational way forward. Why don't they support him? Because the Israelis don't like Palestinians. Not the case. Any innocent person that dies is a tragedy to Israel, but it is not to Hamas. Hence the way they behaved on October 7th. Hence the fact that they dig tunnels under bridges, children's centers and hospitals. And they have their headquarters there hoping that we bomb it to make uh, not us, but the West bombs it. Israel bombs it to make them look bad. And you know what? In some respects, it's working for the simpletons, but for those who want to think about it, not really. Listen, I'll take your calls when we get back. one 408 7669 You can also write me at com. Click on comments, and we'll get to it right there. A lot more to discuss. I do want to talk about 2024, too. You know, it's no longer too late, uh, too early. Oh, well, we've got so much time. Yeah, we have a lot of time. But now 49 days until Iowa, 54 until New Hampshire. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a sprint. Time for the tactics and the money and the donors and, and the supporters to show themselves. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We have reviewed at ABC News some of Americans for Prosperity's internal research. They're polling, they're door knocking data, and their view of the race is that most people don't think it's even begun. In fact, about 40% of Republicans in Iowa and New Hampshire say the race hasn't even started yet, and their research suggests that as many as 75% of Republicans might be open, just might be open to a Trump alternative if they think that that person can win. And their view, they say that there's a lot of money that can be spent on a ground game on organization. The last time that they, that they had any kind of public report on this, John, they had $70 million in the bank to put toward an effort to try to defeat Donald Trump. So they're talking about this guy, uh, one of the Koch brothers, whoever lived. Uh, he is going to do what he did last time, and he's going to spend a lot of money. He's going to pick. It's going to be DeSantis or Haley. He could be Christie. Uh, I'm, I just don't think it would be. He's going to pick which one he thinks has the best shot of beating Trump, and he's going to put all his money behind him to stop in the primary. What they say is Donald Trump hasn't been that busy in Iowa compared to the other candidates. That's where DeSantis makes his stand. For Nikki Haley, she could live to fight another day in New Hampshire, and she feels good about South Carolina, although she's never been leading. Head-to-head, Trump looks really strong. I mean, he's beating uh, Biden in NBC, Fox News poll, the Emerson poll uh, by two, the Quinnipiac poll by three, uh, the Rasmussen poll uh, in November. He's up 46, so he's up by three. So the person who beats Biden better is Haley. But Nikki Haley does not beat Trump anywhere yet. Will that change? I don't know. I mean, there's no indication that she can get anyone get within 20 points. But if you have Governor DeSantis with Governor Reynolds backing him and President Biden, President Trump going after Reynolds hard, those are the types of things that could flip. Governor Sununu going up and down saying Donald Trump can't win a general election. Don't don't hire him. Don't reelect him. Does that hurt? When things get closer, because so many people think this election is not cl- this is not close, meaning not close numbers wise, but not around the corner. They're not really thinking about it like you and I are. Here's Susan Glasser. She's with The New York Times. She despises Trump. She actually married to Peter Baker. And she said this about what she's seeing right now. Cut 18. I mean, when people look back on 2023, one of the big political stories is going to be Donald Trump's rise in the polls and his consolidation, apparently, of uh, Republican voters who, after indictment and indictment and indictment, rolled back into him. But, you know, I'm having a little bit of 2016 flashback. I would point out that the Kochs opposed Donald Trump in 2016 and spent millions and millions of dollars, and it didn't work. And, you know, there is the sort of hope springs eternal moment that we're looking at here. No candidate, as Rick just pointed out, has ever overcome, uh, has ever been defeated with a lead like that. So, you know, color me a little bit skeptical. So everyone sees these numbers, and as how much as they hate Trump, they can't get over it. They can't understand it. And you see it happening in public now when people are going on these panels and they're trying to say Donald Trump can't get elected. Remember January 6th? Donald Trump can't get elected. We don't like the pandemic. Donald Trump can't get elected. Remember, he didn't want to admit that he lost. But that hasn't stopped it. I mean, he was trailing DeSantis after DeSantis won the Florida election. 
the reelection. And then since then, he's been steadying up. I think a lot of it has to do with his team behind him. But I don't think what helps Donald Trump is on Thanksgiving, the Truth Social posts, where all he did is rant against his enemies. I know how he felt. I felt like that could have been a Thanksgiving conversation at the Trump's. But there's no reason at 2.30 in the morning you got to put that out. For people that want Trump to win, they should hope he doesn't do that. Here's Lee Ann Caldwell from The Washington Post, Cut 19. Bidenomics has really been kind of a negative, become a negative word, especially among Democrats, because it's not working. I was texting with some members of Democratic members of Congress last night, just trying to get a read over the holiday weekend, what they're hearing at home and what people are saying. And these members said that it is just not looking good Mm. for President Biden politically out there, that he would probably lose some swing states if if the election were held today. So they have a lot of work to do to, once again, like I said, try to get get credit for the successes that he's had over the past two years, which he keeps on getting blamed for everything bad that's happening. Well, the thing is, there's been no successes since he lost the House. Zero. Zero. I mean, I know Republicans didn't look great trying to pick a speaker and blowing up a really good speaker for no reason. That's ridiculous, and it hurt the whole country. Whole country. Well, tell me, where, where's the president's plan? Do you know the president's not even going to the climate summit overseas? That's all he does is climate. And he's worried about losing the extreme right, extreme left, and he's not going to the climate summit. That's just bizarre. I think they're just worried about him traveling, falling, slurring, not being able to do it. That's not the guy you want to reelect as president. He can't do it. Now, here's the bad news for Republicans. They're not raising a lot of money. Right now, in hand, they got $9.1 million. Do you know uh, in hand in 2016? Uh, they had $20 million. Do you know in hand in 2020, they had $61 million. The Dems got $17.7 million right now. That's not great. But the RNC with $9.1 million, they need it. They need to boast their can- uh, candidates in their battleground states, obviously. But they're also doing something else I think is smart. Uh, they're having those uh, quick voting teams. They're trying to have those bank the vote groups hit the battleground states. They're also suing in 19 states. 19 states over their election laws, 70 separate lawsuits. Now, these lawyers cost money. No one donates their time for the RNC or DNC. That's a, these people get donations. And if you want to make sure that uh, Georgia, Arizona, I'm really worried about Arizona, Pennsylvania, that don't try anything to make people distrustful of the election results, get in now. Don't wait for after the results come in. We know that doesn't work. All right, we expand on this. John Rainer's next. We'll talk Democrat strategists. Then we'll take your calls on the back end. And I do want you to weigh in on the next tranche of aid. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You talk to people down the middle and they're like, I don't want either one of them. And they can be center-right or center-left. I recently did a three-part series traveling through all 67 counties of Pennsylvania. And as you know, Pennsylvania tends to be one of the most pivotal states uh, in, in, in a presidential election, but also in U.S. Senate and congressional races. And I looked at always Trump voters, ride-or-die Biden voters, and then please give us anybody else voters. And the most interesting debate and conversation and, th- and enthusiasm came from people more interested in anyone else outside of Trump and Biden. 
So that is some of the analysis. This is what I love this time of year, because when it gets close to next November, everybody's just going to be pulling for their own candidate. and They're never going to give you rationalization that you're getting from the, uh, from Axelrod now and the people like Karl Rove, who clearly don't like Trump. But if it gets close, I think that he'll believe that Trump is a better candidate, so we'll keep the negativity out. But that was Selena Zito of the Washington Examiner talking about what she's seeing on the ground in a place that means so much, and that is Pennsylvania. John Reinish is with us now. Uh, John is Democratic strategist. John, what do you think about what are some of her conclusions? Do you find that, too, when you talk to people? Yeah, I, I think that's across the board. And happy Thanksgiving, Brian. Thanks for having me on this morning. Um, look, I, I think we're a year out from the election. I think that you are dealing with two um, historically unpopular um, candidates. I, I think you touched on an interesting point, though. We're a year out, so people are still very comfortable expressing their discomfort, yeah, if you will. This. But I think that you see, and you're going to see in both parties, a lot of voters come home. Most voters come home. I think you'll see the numbers reflect that. But look, I think for both candidates, if their numbers next spring look the way they do now, um, that that's going to provoke uh, some serious agitation in both camps. You know, on the Republican side, suburban voters, never Trumpers, et cetera, are, are going to cause a lot of worry for Trump. You touched on Pennsylvania. Of course, that state is won and lost in the Pittsburgh, Philadelphia suburbs. On the Democrat side, if you still see those troubling numbers with young voters, black voters, uh, Hispanic voters, yep. <clears throat> you know they can't just count on suburban women to keep the party afloat. You need the whole coalition. You do. And there's so few. There's only 25 percent of voters want Joe Biden to run again. Yep. And a lot of them are Democrats. And they feel as though they have a shot at changing the horse uh, in the race. It's just that <laughs> the, the, the trouble, the trouble, John, I think Democrats have is. They can't lean on number two. Reagan had Bush. You know, Clinton had Gore. Nobody thought Al Gore couldn't be president. They just made a different choice. But no one said he was incompetent. I don't think anyone since Dan Quayle, who many people think had got a bad rap. Having said that, since Dan Mm -hmm. Quayle, have people looked at vice president and thought, I don't think they can do the job. Do you agree with that? You know, I, 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 to your point, Brian, just look at the numbers. I mean, Vice President Harris's numbers are – Worse than yep. President Biden's numbers. Um, I, I don't know where they stack up against Trump. I think you see the head-to-head matches that I do. They certainly don't prefigure that that she is an answer. Look, I, I don't think there's going to be any twitching of candidates at the last minute. I, I think that that's you know an Aaron Sorkin fanfic fantasy. Um, but you know, look, it, it's not as if to your point. There's someone waiting in the wings who can sweep in and and solve the problem. That's just not the case. There's been a failure to launch there. So I think the tell me if this is is wrong, but the Washington Post did a story that they were trying to marginalize any outlets like CNN, Univision, uh, any outlets more traditional. Washington Post, uh, meet the I think to meet the press. Just if you were an anchor that interviewed Trump, you are how dare you do that? You are normalizing Trump. If you are a of a talk show host like Jimmy Fallon, you're normalizing Trump. The guy who ends up being former, he's a former and was a current president. Now right. the, the, the strategy flips. They're going to urge everyone to interview Trump in the hope that he will show 
things that will make him unappetizing for undecided independence. Have you heard that? And do you think we're going to see that? I, I haven't heard that, Brian, specifically from any of the folks who I speak to in Biden world. But look, um, I think that there is some pretty broad dissatisfaction. And I think that it's warranted that, you know, media is not covering uh, the incredibly authoritarian um, agenda to come that the, that, that the Trump people have, you know, all but promised and that still reporters are just concentrating on the horse race, concentrating on Biden's age. I, I, I do not disagree with the broad dissatisfaction with that. But I also agree if that is indeed their strategy, and I don't know if it is, um, I, I agree with it. He, you know, get him out there, get him talking. Everyone should hear directly from him what he is promising the American people and exactly what his agenda is. Then people, you know, and, and he should be out there and broadly covered for exactly what he's promising to the people so people can make a decision. So, John, I'm listening to all the – I watch all the Sunday shows. I always sure. – I tape them all, watch them all. I, I like the panels. I just want to find out what everybody's thinking. Yep. And, and they can't seem to fi- figure out, uh, outside the Trump world, uh, figure out why Trump is winning. First, before I give you my opinion, I like yours. Why do you think that he is dominating the Republican field and has beat, uh, even on the real career average, I think he's up by – on Joe Biden by four or five. Why do you think that is? Did we just lose him? Because I heard, yeah, I heard a chime, which is the most, I, it almost makes me feel he fell. Because, or or he fell onto bells. That could have happened. I mean, if he fell, you would think you'd hear like a oof in addition right. to a chime. Like you'd see a human reaction. But it was just, it was almost like a symbol. You know, it was, you know, it was, no, it was, it was a Fox News or type thing. Like, bong. Almost a Fox Sports, get ready, we just have a final score in, sudden death overtime, uh, the Giants lose again. Something like that should happen. But while we wait, the other thing I was going to go to is the third-party candidate. Lauren Wright, uh, a research scholar at Princeton, was on last night with Trey Gowdy. I thought this was pretty cool when she talks about the importance of the third party this time around. Cut 21. Just because a third party candidate really can't win in the election system that we have doesn't mean they can't spoil an election, doesn't mean they can't affect the outcome, doesn't mean they can't change the debates. And so, you know, we have this thing in political science called Duverge's Law. It's essentially this idea that in a plurality system with a single winner like we have, Third-party candidates don't win. They don't get enough support. That's why they don't form. Voters don't want to waste their votes. But it also holds that those minority votes tend to split toward the closer majority party. And so this year, candidates like RFK, who was, was at least at one point a registered Democrat, someone like Joe Manchin, those would really be votes that we would think would hurt Biden. And that's why Democrats are really worried about this. Right. Uh, and RFK, they originally said he was going to hurt uh, Trump, but the other people think he's got a legitimate shot of winning because he's got the name. He's got the recognition. He's very poised. Uh, John, I know you're back. So first off, just real quick, why do you think that, uh, that Trump is, is winning, even though he hasn't won anything yet, but is winning in almost every single state in for the Republican primary and in the general and the real clear average? Well, t- Trump and Biden have, have different base um, scenarios here. B- Biden's base um, is currently very restive, very dissatisfied. I think registering a lot of dissatisfaction that they don't have a choice, um, though I expect the incredibly vast majority to come home um, uh, at, at the end of the day, especially when you start to talk about climate, democracy, abortion, et cetera. 
um, and, and just Trump's radicalism, I think there will be a lot of hold your nose um, and, and vote for the guy who you agree with on 98.9 percent of the issues. You know, Trump's base, on the other hand, has been well engaged. They have not gone anywhere. They are pining for their former guy to come back. In fact, many of them don't think he lost in the first place, though, of course, he did. So I, I think it's, it's a real base issue and a real restiveness. Thing. All right. Do you ready, ready for my opinion? Yes. So, John, I just look at the border. Where, when, when was it better? I look at the economy. I look at inflation. When was it better? I look at sure, I, I, mean, I, I look at foreign policy uh, and his decision, President Biden's direct decision to re-engage Iran. How did that turn out? Uh, look at the Ukraine, the invasion. Trump people say it never would have happened under him. I don't love his answer on Ukraine. I'm all in on Ukraine, so I'm not saying yeah. I agree with it. I'm just we can do the analysis thing. And I look at that, what goes on. I didn't really mind that China could not make out what, what Trump was up to. I love the trade deals he was bringing in one after mm-hmm. another. And people just thought, okay, we're not in any major war. Afghanistan, I don't love the talks we were in, but he never would have left like that. And then when you look at what's going on, it's just pure right now, not campaigns, not marketing, not messaging, not social media. It's all results. Well, look, I I think that to, to, to your point, I think Democrats and Biden must engage on the border. They cannot be seen as only being involved in foreign conflict and other people's borders overseas. They have got to come up with a border security bill that can pass on a bipartisan basis that is serious and that also alleviates the situations going on in very democratic cities right now, where the border crisis has caused a migrant crisis in cities. They have got to pay attention to that. And the sooner that they do, and the sooner they continue bringing costs down, gas and groceries, the better off they're gonna be. There's absolutely no question. But you can't take the issue of um, temperament. You can't take the issue of character. You can't take the issue of performance in that way off of the table. And you can't take the issues, as I said, look why Democrats have been winning elections, Brian. You know, all across the board, including in very red states, the issue of abortion cannot be discounted. That's, Trump's answer, that's what you have. Trump's Republicans' answer is real unpopular. So that, that's what you have. You definitely have abortion. The six weeks with DeSantis, I think, is problematic. I think Trump definitely. has got a, probably a better message on that. But I'm going to bring something else. This is the hardest thing. I believe yep. the whole green push definitely has its people, right? They're going to be sit-ins and, and nose, you know, the nose rings, purple hair. Uh, <laughs> how dare you use a gas car? But what he has done with the force feeding of electric cars, the banning that's coming down in New Jersey, in California, when people see oil and gas utility bills, not necessarily the pump bills, the utility bills, and the oil and gas industry knows they've been hamstrung, and to see the Saudi Arabia back in control of how much we're paying, that, to me, gets that independent, gets that undecided and says, listen, guy's a little crazy at times, but I know where he stood when it came to oil and gas. Your thoughts? Well, I, I I will also say this. I think that you know uh, the, these you know measures that you referred to in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, th- those are at the state level. Those are not federal mandates. But I will say this: electric vehicles, people want them. You got to bring costs. Tell down. that to Ford. Ford industry. Tell that to, to Ford. They can't do it. There's no question. You know, Ford's come, um, Ford says we can't do it in this model. I, I just talked to the CEO. Yeah, uh, yeah, to Mary Barra, of course. Well, and 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 that's why no, Farley, you're seeing uh, a lot of un- you're seeing a lot of uncertainty. People aspire towards it; they want it, but they can't afford it. And people are going to be hit with really high home heating costs. There's absolutely no no question 
there at all. It's very hard when it's a transitioning economy, but it is what people want, and it is a good answer. Um, you know, see that you said that like- that last line is where I disagree. It is. I think people want to be responsible with the environment. Sure. I sure. don't think they want to be radical with the environment. Well, I also don't think that a, a push to your values and, and wanting to be responsible, to use your words, that means a little bit less when you're looking at the choice of being responsible or paying $800 a month in January and February for home heating costs. It's yeah. really hard. I get your point. Yeah, and the thing is, I think you got to revisit the wind. The solar panels are panning out. I wish China didn't make them. I yeah, want us I to make them. But the wind, yep. the wind technology has a lot of people going, this is not working, and a lot of environmentalists, many of them famous in Martha's Vineyard, Kennedy's yep. included, they don't want to be staring at these windmills, especially when they find out how expensive they are, impossible to get rid of, and they might be killing whales. Um, well, uh, yes, I, I think when it, when it comes to the rich and their ocean views, I that, that that's not a conversation that I'm going to walk into. I think that that is an elite nimbyism. Um, that, that that speaks for itself. But to your point, we should be making solar panels here. We should be making them at low cost, and we should, it should be the absolutely most uh, 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 advantageous technology, state-of-the-art. They right. should be manufactured right here, bringing down costs and, and creating jobs, and I hope that that's at the top of the agenda. All right, uh, John, thanks so much. I just uh, last question to you that was the, was the uh, third-party uh, candidates yeah. between Kennedy, Cornell West, and Stein – on the last real clear average general election, third party, Stein gets 2%, West gets 2.5, Kennedy gets 14.3, and Trump yep. wins 41.35. How do you yep. strategize against that? Do you run against Trump and Jill Stein? Do you run yeah. against – yes? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, of course. I, th- I think you, you have to remind every Democratic voter, especially all of those people in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan who thought that they'd be all cute and vote for Jill Stein in 2016, remind them there is a direct correlation between Trump's win and you're pulling the lever for Jill Stein. So do you want to take that risk? You you, you got to fire on all of them. Kennedy is a different point, and I heard you make that – heard your guests make this point as I was going on. I think Kennedy actually siphons more votes from Trump. He's far more popular among Republicans uh, and the right than he is among the left. But a tiny fraction to Jill Stein or Cornell West – is a big problem. You got to run against all three. And you know what's interesting? That he's Kennedy's getting a lot of the black vote, which is which is yeah. There's you know, you know there there's a huge amount of respect for that last name um, across the board. It's historic. Thanks so much, John. A fascinating cool, time. Man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. All right, when we come back, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your turn next. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It would be very difficult to get it done by the end of the year. And the impediment currently is the White House policy on the southern border. Uh, the White House in this package, making including it as a national security package, recognizing that the southern border is a threat, put in funding, but it's going to need policy changes. Uh, Congress is going to require that there be laws changed to, to make certain that the border returns to its prior state, you know, perhaps remain in Mexico, other types of provisions that would secure the southern border. So they, he's great. And I think the Republicans have leverage to do it. You want Ukraine, you want Israel, you want Taiwan, some of which is bipartisan, some of which is, and for some reason, Ukraine got very partisan because 
the money's a lot and the president never explains it and they're getting blowback in their districts. But Chuck Schumer's got to pass aid for those efforts. They doesn't want anything to do with the border. But you just heard John Reinish. He is a Democratic strategist. He says Democrats need to get a hold of the border, need to at least try to get a hold of the border. This could be a blessing for the Democrats if they show an engagement on changing with asylum and changing with security and building a wall that actually works with smart technology around it. They could they they could hurt Democrat Republicans, but I'd be happy because they'd help the country. What else do they got to do? Is one of the most important weeks because they got to fund the defense budget. Usually, that is not that controversial. It's called the National Defense Authorization Act. It's a must pass. All senators have to uh, the all senators have to agree to fund Ukraine, uh, repel the Russian invasion once and for all, according to Chuck Schumer. A resolution to try to pass hundreds of military promotions because they're being blocked by Tommy Tuberville. That's another one of Chuck Schumer's goals. And confirming President Biden's nominees for judges. Republicans in the Senate, you're one seat away. You're about to get the majority. And let Matt Rosendahl, Rosendale uh, takes on John Tester again. He'll lose. If uh, she, he gets it, he'll win. And then you see Manchin step aside so you know that Jim, uh, Jim Justice, Governor Justice, is going to win there. You see what's happening in Arizona, with Kari Lake right now leading in Arizona, that's pretty promising. In Pennsylvania, Dave McCormick's as good a candidate as it gets. He also had a trial run against Dr. Oz. He might be primed to make something happen against Casey in Pennsylvania. So it's going to be interesting, too, uh, in, in Michigan. Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're listening. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Special thanks to everyone who came out to uh, West Islip, New York. Uh, excuse me. Would it be West Islip? Uh, more Babylon, New York. Uh, right on Long Island, off 27 at the Barnes & Noble. It was great to see everybody come out on a Saturday when you have so much going on. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, sign, signing Teddy and uh, Booker T. It uh, remains top 10 in the country. And thanks so much. I think it's had two American icons, uh, blazed a path to social equality and I, racial equality. And I hope everybody uh, enjoys the message. Michael Goodwin is standing by with the New York Post. John Inarelli, retired FBI special agent and member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division, uh, will be with us shortly. We also got to talk about what the attorney general is speaking right now on the Vermont shooting. The Vermont shooting involves a hate crime. Uh, somehow this Palestinians might be targeting. But isn't it fascinating that out of all the hate crimes, he waits for this one. Have you been noticing what's happening? We're watching a teacher being locked in her own classroom who happens to support Israel. We're watching a group of college students uh, downtown in Cooper's uh, uh, in uh, Cooperstown, Cooperstown, um, right, right in New York City, being forced into they locked themselves in the library because of anti-Israeli rage. And now you pick up on this. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Donald Trump's been leading wire to wire and big. Right now he's up 45 points plus on his closest rivals. It isn't the same, though, as in the early states. In Iowa and New Hampshire, he's under 50 percent, and that gives Trump's rivals a lot of hope. Uh, It does. Uh, But should they have that hope? That's Rick Klein. 
Trump expands his lead uh, in the general, but in the primary, he just remains steady. Is he vulnerable? And what about a third-party dynamic? We'll talk about it. Number two. I think it'd be very difficult to get it done by the end of the year. And the impediment currently is the White House policy on the southern border. Congress is going to require that there be laws changed to to make certain that the border returns to its prior state, you know, perhaps remain in Mexico, other types of provisions that would secure the southern border. Mike Turner weighing in, major push to rush aid to Israel and Ukraine, but that's fine. Republicans say, what about the border? Without that and asylum changes, no go. We'll talk about the latest partisan standoff. Number one. It could be that the pause is extended for another day or two days or three days or even more. The ball is in Hamas's court on that because what Israel has said is that it is prepared to pause another day of fighting for every 10 hostages that Hamas releases. Hostage drama in Gaza. Dozens exchanged innocent Israelis for prisoners. The question now is, does the pause end or will they release 10 hostages as was the need necessary to stop the military uh, the military advancement, the horrific demonstrations for Hamas in Palestine and that stopped New York City bridges and stopped so many other people who probably wanted to go to the library or just wanted to live their lives. Michael Goodwin joins us now. Michael, in a time in which we can't afford to fund the library to stay open seven days a week, it turns out the library got $75,000 worth of damage uh, from those riots the other day. Uh, good morning, Brian. Yes, that's the the main library in New York, the New York Public Library on 42nd, the big famous building with the lions out front. Um, it, it is a shame that uh, there's a kind of nihilism about uh, all these demonstrations. It, it's not enough to march and show how they feel. They must disrupt your life and cause damage to public property uh, in order to make their point. I mean, I think this, to me, always undercuts uh, any kind of protest movement because it shows they're, they're really nihilist at heart. They'll destroy everything if they don't get their way. And I think that's where we're headed in this country. I mean, this is not the first time, of course, we, uh, I mean, back, going back to the George Floyd riots, uh, this seems to have become the pattern in the last several years in the United States. More and more violence uh, in the name of your politics, in the name of your belief, in the name of your demands. And I think it's a really worrisome right. sign. And as you point out, uh, the president on this on this hate crime stuff and the federal government has really been inconsistent. Uh, there's a oh, kind of so? tolerance for for a certain level of anti-Semitism, but when it comes to any sign of Islamophobia, all the gears are put in motion mm-hmm. suddenly. Well, it's happening right now. The attorney general is having a press conference over the hate crimes in Vermont, perceived hate crimes possibly in Vermont, where uh, three Palestinians or four Palestinians. Uh, were attacked. Not no one ever supports that. But there was a uh, there was a, a a Jewish American that was killed in California. Where's that investigation? Where was the investigation into those Cooper Union kids that were holed up in that library? They were told to go to the attic if it gets much worse. What about the federal investigation into a teacher that showed up at a pro-Israeli rally and then her teachers were trying, her students were trying to attack her? She had to lock herself in the classroom. That seems yeah. to me to be some abhorrent behavior. That was in Queens, uh, New York High School. Hillcrest High School. School. Yeah. Brian, you know, I I, I think there is a a larger point here that everything, because Joe Biden is running for re-election, because his polls are so bad, everything here has a domestic political quotient to it. And 
I, for me, there, there was a little story over the weekend, first in the Washington Post, that uh, Biden had apologized to five Muslim American leaders, it said. It doesn't say who they are, um, who came to the White House after he said he didn't trust Hamas's casualty figures. And they felt very hurt by this. Now, this strikes me as bizarre. And Biden uh, apparently according to the Washington Post, said he apologized and he felt disappointed in himself. Now, there are a couple of elements here that strike me as really strange. One is these Muslim American leaders, whomever they are, seem to be aligned with Hamas. In other words, if you don't, if when the president says he doesn't trust Hamas, the casualty figures, this somehow hurts their feelings about all Muslim Americans. So do all Muslim Americans identify with Hamas? If you, if you criticize Hamas, are you criticizing Islam? This seems to me a very strange position for those leaders to take, and even stranger for the president to defer to it. Um, and I've heard other analysis of, about the assumption that how will American voters respond to Biden vis-a-vis the Israeli-Hamas war? And there has been, because of Elon Omar and yeah. Talib, there has been this sense that uh, Biden's in trouble in the upper Midwest states, Michigan and Minnesota, because he is actively helping Israel. Now, again, this strikes me as strange. Are, these, are we being told that Muslim Americans are all on the side of Hamas? Is that the implication here? Because if it is, we have bigger problems than we realized. So uh, he has people, they had an emergency meeting with Anita Dunn in the White House to talk about uh, the, their stance. President Biden's staff, his own White House, has to demand a meeting with Anita Dunn's communications <clears throat> director or whatever title she has. She's powerful about President Biden pulling back on his support for Israel. So those are the people that he screened, that he hired. He can't even keep them in line. Because in my view, he's checking boxes on nationality and sexuality, not on people that back what he thinks. I mean, what what are you doing? You can't even staff yourself. We didn't ask you to do elections. It's not like you have to deal with a Republican speaker, no matter whether you like him or her or not. You're dealing with people that just don't like what you're doing and don't like Israel. And for well, them, you, to- had the, you had the uprising in the State Department, um, and and you had in in other agencies too. People signing letters and things. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism online from former ambassadors and and things like that. There's just um, the, there's even a movement among journalists, journalist unions, to send a, to issue a statement denouncing Israel. Uh, so this rot uh, of anti-Semitism and I. I do believe it's proper to call it anti-Semitism, Brian, because Israel is in a fight for existence. And if you cannot understand that, if you think that there's an equality between Hamas and Israel, then you are basically saying, okay, let's wipe out Israel. Let's eliminate the Jews from the Mideast. That's what Hamas wants to do. And if you favor Hamas, you you are you are complicit. You are yourself an anti-Semite, and this is working through our culture in ways that are shocking, and we shouldn't get numb to it because this is a fundamental break 
with who we are as a country, that so much of it is coming from young people in these elite colleges is further proof that they are being indoctrinated by radical professors I know. instead of being educated. Because this is not easy to figure out. For example, you know, you have uh, with the whole police thing, their perception by some of the black community where the police are, are too harsh on African-Americans. And then in comes the George Floyd thing, and they back him up, and you see white people there saying, I feel bad for them. And you go, okay, I don't, you know, I agree with you. Get to the facts of the case down. We used to have an interesting debate. But I'm watching these people on the Manhattan Bridge yesterday, stopping me from getting home, and so many other people read the stories about it. I sympathize with you, but I have to get home. I have to get to a job. You are stopping this bridge, and it takes forever for the cops to get thousands of people off their butts and maybe uh, on the walkway or in jail. So all this stuff happens. Do you really think they understand the decades of history, the Oslo Accords, the Belfort Declaration, what happened after World War II, the constant attacks, the rocketing on a daily basis, the giving up of Gaza, the Hamas winning an election, being them citing they don't want a two-state solution? I mean, do they understand the nuances of this? Are they even interested in this? I, I would be very uh, confident saying no. They understand next to nothing of these things. Um, and if they do, uh, when you tell them about these things, they just brush it aside. But, 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 uh, I mean, this, this is an outgrowth. These same people hate America, right? These are, these are many of the same people who think America is a brutal, racist, genocidal nation, uh, who want to tear down you know Christopher Columbus statues and and desecrate George Washington even Abraham Lincoln they want to tear down Mount Rushmore I mean these and again these, these people have been indoctrinated yeah. you know I, I often wonder Brian the young people today you know e- even you know people preschool or early school years who are their heroes who are they allowed to look up to and say that's somebody i want to be like i mean the silly thing of george washington i did not chop down the cherry tree right all school children of certain for many generations learned that and it wasn't true per se but it was about his character it was about the kind of person who had been the first president i mean is that so terrible to have heroes must we desecrate and and pull down everything and everybody in American history uh, so that we can then be free of it? I mean, this is this is a, a fundamental yeah. threat right. to America as we understand. It. I want you to hear Rokahana, a guy I thought was pretty smart, likes going on old networks and channels. Listen to him and his answer to the the big picture in Israel. Cut twelve. Their military capability has been diminished with the bombing in northern Gaza. But their political support, and sometimes actually increases every time you have images of children and women killed. That's why there has to be a diplomatic solution. Until there is an independent Palestinian state, uh, there is not going to be peace or security in that region, and America needs to show leadership. I believe our Gulf allies will help us if we bring the diverse Palestinian voices to the table. There needs to be one condition. Any Palestinian voice at that table needs to recognize the state of Israel, and then we need to work towards an independent Palestinian state. So what they should – first off, if you have to understand, Hamas would be there. They wouldn't talk to Hamas, so therefore you don't get a representative of most of the people. Number two is would you set up a Palestinian state when the last time you were next to them – they massacred 1,200 people, many of which were unarmed, 750 of which were civilians. 
And where is this Palestinian rational leader that Rokahana says we should engage? Does anybody – has anyone seen them? Right. You know, Brian, uh, there, over the weekend there was some stuff reported that uh, two Palestinian men were publicly executed uh, in the West Bank, uh, not in Gaza, but in the West Bank, uh, for being Israeli spies. Now, Israeli being Israeli uh, spies is often a code for being gay or being something else. It's not always what it is. They were publicly hung up by their feet and chopped into pieces. And you can see video of this online of people laughing and uh, uh, praising God and, and cheering this public execution. This is a culture of death. This is the Palestinian culture today. When you look at the videos when the Israeli soldiers and, and uh, civilians were paraded through, through the streets of Gaza, the, there were a lot of people happy to hit the young Israeli woman with a pole yeah. or shout, you know, God is great, uh, whenever the corpses were dragged through the streets. This is, this is not someone you can do business with. And this is what Israel has discovered. Israel there was a Palestinian state. It was called Gaza. And look what it became. It became a terror state. What is the, where is the logic that says combining uh, the West Bank and Gaza together will get you something else? This, this hatred for the Jews is not about borders. It is about Israel's existence. It is, as a, uh, Jonathan Sachs, the rabbi, the late rabbi from Great Britain, said, that the the new the anti-Semitism of of this era is anti-Zionism, gotcha. and and that's what's happening in the Middle East. It's what's happening in American college campuses and even in New York City high schools. This is a fundamental break from our history. Uh, Michael Goodwin, catch him in the New York Post, NY Post, uh, M Goodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Uh, back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Uh, Just keep in mind, too, when we come back, we're also trying to to figure out what's going on with uh, crime in the city. And they are going after the mayor of this city. African-American mayor, uh, to me, on his worst days, better than de Blasio on his best. And even though he doesn't follow through in a few areas, at least he recognizes the problem. But he seems to have gotten on the wrong side of his party. But Mayor Adams had the FBI walked up to him right in in the the middle of the afternoon on a weekend, pushed back his own security, Mayor Adams' own security, and said, hand me your phone. Now, that could easily have been done covertly. They wanted to send a message, I think. Why else would they do in the middle of the afternoon? Are they that worried about him fleeing or hiding it or deleting it? I don't know. But it's all about uh, some campaign issues, about financing as it relates to Turkey and what's happening there. And I'm just wondering if this Biden sometimes critic wasn't a critic at all. He would have been number one to be on Biden's reelection team. He got kicked off that. And Biden wouldn't meet with him when he was when he was here for the U.N., so that was pretty clear. And now we have a problem that's getting worse. He's called out the federal government again, says we have a federal government problem. That's almost as if saying, Joe Biden, I'm wondering if any of this happens, any of it happens, if he wasn't critical of President Biden. 
I'll tell you what, would, would everyone say about Trump? He wasn't going to do that. During Trump's time, they actually raided his lawyer's office. And they're worried about him being a fascist? John Inarelli is going to be coming up next, FBI Special Agent and member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division. Happy Cyber Monday. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We are closely monitoring the impact that the conflict in the Middle East may have in inspiring foreign terrorist organizations, homegrown violent extremists, and domestic violent extremists, both here in the United States and abroad. All of us have also seen a sharp increase in the volume and frequency of threats against Jewish, Muslim, and Arab communities across our country since October 7. There is understandable fear in communities across the country. Even as we speak, the ATF and the FBI are investigating the tragic shooting of three men of Palestinian descent in Vermont. Right. Uh, that's prompted this on Monday. But if it was a if, if the track record is any indication of the future, would he have the, the Merrick Garland have been addressing the press a half hour ago? If there wasn't this horrific seems to be a hate crime, Palestinian guys uh, uh, hurt, shot on Thanksgiving. With me right now is John Inarelli, retired FBI special agent, member of the executive staff of the FBI cyber division and a member of the FBI SWAT team. Uh, John, your reaction to the attorney general today? I mean, I've never seen such a uh, so pervasive anti-Semitism, but it seems he's we cannot wait for the Islamophobia portion of this abhorrent behavior. Brian, the Islamophobia issue, this person who committed this act in Vermont, horrible, should never happen. But look at how many other issues we've had, not just recently since Israel was attacked on October 7th, but prior to that. And I don't see the DOJ coming out and saying anything. We should be enforcing the laws uniformly. Right. It seems as he's picking his spots. Uh, For example, the 14, the 45 year old teacher that had to lock herself in a classroom because the students had turned on her. I mean, does that, have, you, have you ever heard anything like this because she supported Israel? I've heard of things like this in third world countries. And now the school is talking about, well, we're bringing in outside professionals to talk to the students. Hey, some people need to be arrested. Some people need to be expelled. I mean, most of the city in Hillcrest in Queens, they might even have metal detectors in there. So there must be some type of fear of unrest. Usually I heard this morning that there's just some gang activity in the area. But since when does a teacher have to watch what protest she shows up at uh, pro-Israeli protests over the weekend. And she got hate mail on online. That teacher has a First Amendment right to support Israel. And students, if they want to protest, in the confines of what's allowed by the school, not running rampage down the hallways and threatening professionals. So what can you do when you see these protests uh, gather in front of the, the, uh, of the Museum of Natural History over the weekend? They're transiting. NYPD is KKK. Well, I mean, you just have to let them go? You don't. There's a balance, of course. People have a First Amendment right in this country. But the protest, you have to protest legally. The city of New York could be enforcing the laws. If people do not have the proper permits, are not in permitted areas, they can take action. At the same time, they're probably looking at how many arrests are we going to make? How are we going to process these people? Is it something we can move along and deal with the next battle? But if, even if I have a permit, does that permit say you have the you you are allowed to block a bridge? You're allowed to block Fifth Avenue. What does the permit say? Because to me, you're not converting anyone, but you are getting what you wanted, and that's us talking about it and a lot of news coverage. 
you can never get a permit to be able to block traffic or commit an illegal act. There are lawful places you can protest. They're not doing it. The law is not being enforced. New York has to decide how much do they want to put up with this and let the citizens who are trying to work for a living be inconvenienced. Well, we'll also find out the big story in New York City is they stop two to four academy classes and they are cutting back on cops who are overworked and quitting at the biggest at the largest at uh, the largest number we've seen in 10 years so pre some leaving without pensions just to get out uh, with the smallest force since 1940 how effective can they be it's a problem. New York City is almost at 3,000 resignations or retirements this year alone without replacing those resources. We've seen the same thing over the last couple of years. <laughs> People in New York and elsewhere in the country are not going to be safer. When we think of the issues we have, Brian, like active shooting situations, etc., where we count on a police response, that time is getting to be slower and slower as we have fewer and fewer cops on the street. And this is what I, was, I heard this morning. And when cops talk in the cars, they're not so much worried to talk to each other. They're not so much worried about being shot. They're worried about being indicted. They're worried about being involved in one uh, somebody with an iPhone deciding that what they're doing is illegal, a restraint hold because somebody might have a knife. It might, if that person is rendered unconscious or they go to jail. And that's what they're most worried about. And they have a reason to worry. And in some communities, they've have remove the protections of police officers in the confines of doing their job and that that officer can be sued personally for their home, thereby leaving their children, their spouses penniless. We've gone down this dangerous road in this country and we need to bring it back if we want to be safe. Otherwise, it's going to be up to you to protect yourself. I mean, I'm seeing this other story of these uh, Chinese setting up police stations in New York City, in Houston, got broken up. And now we find out with all these Chinese coming in through our southern border mysteriously, they suddenly can't handle China and oppression. I mean, they've had oppression their whole life. But let's see. Having said that, now we understand that the owner of a California biolab that finally was dismantled has close ties to the Chinese government. Do you know anything about this? I've heard some things about it. Part of the issue here is the FBI was asked to take a look at it. The problem is you can't just investigate unless you have evidence that a crime may have been committed. You need somebody on the inside picking up the phone, calling law enforcement. Otherwise, it's speculative. And the last thing we want is the federal government randomly conducting investigations. Again, it's a balance. It is a balance. And we're looking at a situation now where almost every major city is having trouble with cops, and every major city is having trouble with illegal immigrants. So if you have somebody that you don't know who they are, you don't know why they're here, they're going to wait four years for their asylum hearing, what do you do if you're a police officer? There's not a lot you can do. Basically, you're going on from one problem to the next. You're encountering people that have no identification, no ties to the community, many times are committing crimes. And do they show back up in court when they're asked to, whether it's the asylum hearing or another crime? Rarely, if ever. Well, so when you look at the FBI's role with these election laws that are coming in, we know the Republicans have in, uh, in I think, 14 separate states – They have 70 different cases they bring up because they're challenging election law. Come election day, what role does the FBI play? 
the FBI is going to have a very, very limited role. And anything the FBI does is usually after the fact. They're there to investigate a crime that has occurred. As far as enforcing the election laws, it's up to the local community, the state, etc., to ensure that their laws are being adhered to. Right. If, they're, if their laws are being adhered to, is going to be key. Um, and then we got to find out if that actually is the case. When you're looking at the FBI now, what is it, the FBI that you left and compare it with what you're seeing now? The big issue with the FBI today is leadership. When I was an FBI agent, the rules were very clear. We didn't operate along political lines. Agents did their job. Now we're seeing more of a lean towards politics, and that's coming from high up. If there's a change in leadership in the FBI, I think you will see that go back to the ways it used to be. But, Brian, the men and women of the FBI are out there to do the job. They're not involved with the politics. Some of the leaders may be. Yeah, I guess so. It's it's bad because a lot of people are distrustful. Do you notice that on the streets? I mean, there's been a political divide on the FBI. Within the FBI, a lot of the agents complain of things they hear from higher up, uh, such as when the investigations of the Catholic Church was taking place, things along those lines. The men and women, though, the average street agent, no, they are interested in doing their job. Um. What do you do right now about the flood of uh, people coming over across the border now? That's a great question because the reality is we've made a lot of arrests of persons that were on terrorist watch lists. But here, Brian, the issue is you don't know what you don't know. People could be getting by that could be in this country that want to do us harm. I think we're going to be in for some interesting times until the border is more secure. Yeah, Mike Gallagher weighed in on what we were talking about with this. Uh, this whole bio lab over on the West Coast. Let's listen. Here we had a Chinese citizen who came to America illegally. He was fleeing a $330 million judgment for intellectual property theft on behalf of the Chinese government. He set up this lab and he was buying dangerous pathogens, including Ebola, including tuberculosis, including HIV, online. So we have no trip guard, we have no trip wires in place, no safeguards in place in order to prevent potentially a hostile actor from buying dangerous pathogens in order to damage America. And then when the local officials found this, and it was all because a local and business a building inspector saw a pipe sticking out of what was supposed to be an abandoned building, they called the FBI. The FBI said, well, we can't investigate because there's no ties to WMD, which is absurd. They called the CDC. The CDC hung up on them initially, and it wasn't until the local congressman got on the case that the CDC was forced to send a team to investigate, and that wasn't until many, many months later. So this has revealed a huge, soft underbelly in our domestic national security. Do you uh, dispute anything he said? Obviously, you want law enforcement to get involved if there's evidence of something that could be hurting people. I'm glad that the CDC finally took some action. But, yeah, it is a concern. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. John Inarelli, uh, FBI guy, always on watch, uh, member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division. Uh, anything before we go, this is Cyber Monday, anything we should look at? You know, people need to be careful online, Brian. There's going to be a lot of offers with Cyber Monday. There's also going to be a lot of scams. Make sure it's a legitimate deal and a legitimate business. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kill Me coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
In the national polling average at 538, Donald Trump's been leading wire to wire and big. Right now, he's up 45 points plus on his closest rivals. That is not a close race. It isn't, it isn't the same, though, as in the early states. In Iowa and New Hampshire, we're talking about 27, 28-point leads. Critically, Donald Trump's winning by a lot, but he's under 50% in both of those early voting states, and that gives Trump's rivals a lot of hope, that maybe even expectation, that once people start to engage, there's a chance of changing those numbers and maybe someone breaks through in one of those states. And we'll see. I mean, you, what you got to do is you got to beat them uh, in Iowa, and it looks like Ron DeSantis just got to win in Iowa. And Nikki Haley's in the best position to challenge Trump in New Hampshire. But there's, you know, you're talking 20, 30 points. People think that's vulnerability. We've never seen some of this type of lead. People point out that Ted Cruz was in single digits and Rick Santorum in single digits. They both won Iowa, did not get the nomination, obviously. But will it be a different situation now? And if Trump, obviously everything's different with President Trump. I get it. But what you have to do is show vulnerability if you don't, if everyone says this is going to be the nominee, I don't want to be isolated or I don't want to be Liz Cheney and just sit on the outside and just say I want to be in a Republican Party uh, that was instead of the one that is. So they want to see that it's a possibility. Rick DeSantis, Ron DeSantis does good in Iowa. Nikki Haley does really well in New Hampshire. They make the South Carolina close. Super Tuesday will matter. But you know what Trump's going for? The quick knockout. 49 days to Iowa, 57 days to New Hampshire. But Charles Koch, according to ABC, has come out and said in the next couple of days he's going to endorse a Donald Trump alternative. You would assume it's Nikki Haley or Governor DeSantis. And then we'll see what happens. He thinks if he puts money behind him, that'll be a difference. Other people say they've tried that, like Susan Glazer, cut 18. I mean, when people look back on 2023, one of the big political stories is going to be Donald Trump's rise in the polls and his consolidation, apparently, of uh, Republican voters who, after indictment and indictment and indictment, rolled back into him. But, you know, I'm having a little bit of 2016 flashback. I would point out that the Kochs opposed Donald Trump in 2016 and spent millions and millions of dollars, and it didn't work. And, you know, there is the sort of hope springs eternal moment that we're looking at here. No candidate, as Rick just pointed out, has ever overcome, uh, has ever been defeated with a lead like that. So, you know, color me a little bit skeptical. Right. So we'll see what happens, especially with the third party in. For Ron DeSantis, he's getting a lot of endorsements. I think it's key to get that governor. I think he's gotten a lot of other support when a lot of people could have been shedding support. But he's hanging tough. He's got a bunch of lawmakers in South Carolina who came his direction. We'll see if that'll help. Here is Carl Rove on what Iowa means to DeSantis. Cut 24. Iowa is do or die. He's putting a lot of effort there. He has the governor, the popular governor, Kim Reynolds. He won the, the support of, uh, of of leader in the evangelical community, Vander Plaats. Uh, right. And, and yeah, he's got he's to run. If he comes in third in Iowa, it's very problematic for him because it, it doesn't get better for him in the next two set of contests. So it, it's good because you got to figure that he's not doing well in New Hampshire. He's behind Nikki Haley and maybe in some in some polls behind Chris Christie. But I think it could change quickly in five days. That's the key. Like Joe Biden, I remember being in New Hampshire. He left Iowa, failed. They couldn't even get a verdict. He went to New Hampshire before the vote was even cast. He's gone. Nevada, South Carolina, he moved on. I thought he was dead. But obviously he came back and he ended up winning. So the real clear average uh, in the general election Trump with third-party candidates, Trump 45, Biden 35, 41, Biden 35, Kennedy 14.3, West 2.5, Stein 2.3.
I mean, that shows just a lot of people just don't want to vote, but don't want to vote for the, either either the front runners. That's why the third party could really matter in, in the big election, which brings me to Lauren Wright. She writes, she's a research scholar at Princeton. She was on with Trey last night, Cut 21. Just because a third party candidate really can't win in the election system that we have doesn't mean they can't spoil an election, doesn't mean they can't affect the outcome, doesn't mean they can't change the debates. And so, you know, we have this thing in political science called Duverge's Law. It's essentially this idea that in a plurality system with a single winner like we have, Third-party candidates don't win. They don't get enough support. That's why they don't form. Voters don't want to waste their votes. But it also holds that those minority votes tend to split toward the closer majority party. And so this year, candidates like RFK, who was, was at least at one point a registered Democrat, someone like Joe Manchin, those would really be votes that we would think would hurt Biden. And that's why Democrats are really worried about this. Yeah, I know. So I haven't seen much of RFK, but evidently when he's out in the field, he's getting a lot of minority votes and support. And they said some of it stems from his skepticism on the vaccine, that in the black community, that really matters. I did not know that. That is new to me. Uh, but I do think that Republicans have an opportunity with President Biden shedding black voters. Republicans have to step up and say, Instead of just what do you have to lose, I understand there's merit to that more than I thought originally. You got to just tell me what you're going to do. And even if you still end up with just 20 percent of the black vote, which is terrible, which means 80 percent of the people do not think your party will, will help help their lives, that would still significantly more than the Republicans have ever gotten. The, part, the party of Lincoln, who freed the slaves, cannot win over the black vote. Something flipped in the 60s, and we've been over that. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is what's happening with if every major city protests against President Biden among the youth against his Israeli policy. You believe that? And he is not green enough. Obviously, they're not running to Trump, but these people will just stay home. You don't have to tell young people traditionally, uh, give them a reason to stay home. They figure out their own way. Now you're saying not green enough. And I hate your Israeli policy. Listen, he's too green, and I think he should be stronger with Israel. But I'm just pointing out that that is not just the six, seven-member squad. There's much more than that. And it's much more than New York. It's big time in Michigan, almost every major urban environment. Brian Kilmeade Show, briankilmeade.com. Figure out how you can get Teddy and Booker T on this Cyber, on this cyber Monday, and you can order it right now. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic holiday a uh, few days off. Um, it's been crazy. Thanks to everybody who came out on Saturday to Barnes & Noble on Long Island. It was great seeing everybody in person. And uh, 4 o'clock on a Saturday, two days the day after Black Friday was uh, unbelievable. Josh Krashauer standing by to join us this hour. And Kra- Carol Markowitz, who's a New York Post columnist, but moved to Florida for some sanity. I don't blame her after she had to make sure her kids went to school and weren't sitting there on Zoom as toddlers. Uh, that was a problem and remains to be a problem even today. And we'll take your calls, too. 
Uh, we're also following, you know, Cyber Monday is supposed to be a big success. Let's hope. A lot of the Black Friday was solid. We'll see because some of these numbers we're seeing on debt and personal debt and paycheck to paycheck numbers are not encouraging. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Donald Trump's been leading wire to wire and big. Right now he's up 45 points plus on his closest rivals. It isn't the same, though, as in the early states. In Iowa and New Hampshire, he's under 50%, and that gives Trump's rivals a lot of hope. Yep, uh, Trump expands his lead in the primary field and in general beyond the margin of error in some cases. Yet some still say, as you just heard, ABC's expert there says he's beatable. And uh, Charles Koch, I believe that's the Koch brother uh, that is still alive, spending big bucks to prove it. We're going to look at all this. Number two. I think it'd be very difficult to get it done by the end of the year. And the impediment currently is the White House policy on the southern border. Congress is going to require that there be laws changed to to make certain that the border returns to its prior state, you know, perhaps remain in Mexico, other types of provisions that would secure the southern border. And I think they might have leverage to do it. A major push to push to rush aid to Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan. But Republicans say no, not without border funding and asylum changes. I think Republicans have the leverage. Let's see. Number one. It could be that the pause is extended for another day or two days or three days or even more. The ball is in Hamas's court on that because what Israel has said is that it is prepared to pause another day of fighting for every 10 hostages that Hamas releases. And that's where we're at now. If Hamas has indicated they want to extend the ceasefire and release another 10 hostages, okay, let's see the names. Hostage drama in Gaza, dozens exchanged, innocent Israelis for prisoners. The question now is, does this pause result in a permanent pause, or is it going to be back to fighting as early as this hour? We'll talk about it, including some of the ridiculous protests we're seeing, maybe in a city near you, maybe in a high school or college near you. Over yesterday, a Manhattan bridge shut down because these Palestinian supporters, Hamas supporters, decide they want a ceasefire. Hey, knuckleheads, we're in the middle of one. I mean, at least follow the news. I don't know if that appeared on TikTok or not, or if that's too cutting edge for you. Incredible. So let me give you an idea of what's happened. There's been three batches of hostage uh, hostage releases. The last one, after a seven-hour delay, people got nervous about it, but there was some problems with the ceasefire. Hamas got 39, all males yesterday. 17 hostages, including one American citizen, was released from Hamas's control Sunday. This comes after 24 hostages who were freed on Friday. In exchange for the freedom of the hostages, Israel agreed to let 150 Palestinian prisoners go, women and teenagers. Yesterday were young men. The day before was mostly women. There's a there's a sheet of 300 that are eligible to be exchanged. I don't know if that's going to be okay for these terrorists. Details are beginning to emerge of life in captivity. Hellacious. They had to sleep on chairs or sleep on the ground. They rarely eat. Wouldn't use the restroom. You can imagine being a little kid, not knowing where your parents are, finding out they're dead, and then realizing that you're stuck in a tunnel. I mean, just the horror, it's unbelievable how much, uh, I guess, psychological work they're going to need now that they're out. And when people just say, look at how nice they were to the, to the hostages, as if that is a virtue. You took a hostage, a senior citizen in their 80s, and because you didn't beat them up, you want credit? Or you did beat them up and they're afraid for the people left behind? If, they, if you make it clear in public that they're going to pay the price, my hope is we're getting a lot of information 
with me right now? Uh, okay, he's going to be joining us shortly. Also, if this wasn't enough, the Houthi rebels, these guys who are in control of Yemen, remember, at first, let me just give you or back you up a little bit. They were rocketing Saudi Arabia. Why? Because they're allies and probably propped up and trained by the Iranians. They took over Yemen, which was not well run, but that was a semi-ally of America and a big help with the ancestral home of Osama bin Laden. We will have to operate in there. Houthi rebels are now rocketing Israel, thankfully knocked out of the sky, some of these rockets, rocketing us, thankfully no damage done, and now hijacking ships. Now, this is the group that was rocketing Saudi Arabia. So they rocketed back, asked for missile defense, and we supplied some fighter jets, and they blockaded the whole place. And everyone just condemned Saudi Arabia. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. If Mexico was rocketing us, and people want to condemn us for defending ourselves, that would be a little bit of a problem. So instead, President Biden takes over, calls him a pariah nation in Saudi Arabia, and tells the Houthi rebels, you're no longer on the terror list. And what has that got us? Another enemy in the area. Uh, with us right now is Josh Kraschauer of Axios. Uh, Josh also is the editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Josh, have you heard – thanks for joining us. First, I'll keep you in Israel – have you learned anything about the pause continuing? It looks like Hamas reached out and says we're looking to release 10 more. Have you heard that? Yeah, look, uh, it, it does sound like there, are at least, there will be at least a day or two of additional exchanges of, of hostages. Uh, as part of the original agreement, there were provisions, Brian, that allowed Hamas to if – they, if they released another, uh, I think, at least 10 hostages, then – up to a certain point, up to several more days, Israel would agree to to, to pause the, the the fighting. So um, it looks like Hamas is, is moving in that direction. Uh, we there was also a, a little bit of a dispute over the handoff today, which has been delayed over over. Um, I think I think it now sounds like, according to reports, Hamas is releasing uh, mothers that they separated from their children in the last few days as part of this, this latest uh, round of hostage releases. But, um, yeah, it does seem likely I think we'll see a couple extra days uh, for uh, additional hostages to be released as part of this, this deal. But do you know Israel as good as anybody? You know they have no interest in slowing up. You know they, their goal is to wipe out Hamas. But now there's a push among the Democratic Party, start conditioning the aid we give Bernie Sanders. And let's start talking deal. Roke Kahana, cut 11. I think we need a lasting ceasefire now. Uh, and I, I, I came out for that a few days ago. I'll tell you why. couple uh, reasons. First, we need more of the hostages uh, to be released. And we've seen now that it's working. Second, uh, there's still Americans in Gaza. We need those Americans uh, and American families to be released. The third point is this. Israel has diminished Hamas's military capability. They now have troops to prevent another October 7th attack. But I just talked to the Saudi ambassador. I talked to the UAE ambassador. Here's the reality on the ground. There are 40,000 Hamas fighters, 40,000. Israel has killed 2,000. It is unrealistic that they're going to be able to kill 40,000 other Hamas fighters, let alone undermine the political and cultural influence of Hamas. So we need a real solution, and that uh, needs to be a, a Palestinian state with an Israeli state. Well, your, your thoughts about his, his thoughts, and then I'll weigh in. So, Brian, number one, 
hearing Rokana say that, which is, you know, he's been one of the more progressive lawmakers in, in the Democratic Party. So hearing him call for essentially a, a long-term ceasefire for Israel not to resume its operations against Hamas doesn't come as a major surprise. But one of the big tests in the next few days is going to be what the mood is within the White House, what the mood is within some of the more rank-and-file Democrats on whether they're going to use this opportunity to try to, you know, uh, constrain Israel to try to prevent it from continuing its operations. I, hearing Jake Sullivan on the Sunday shows uh, yesterday from the Biden administration, hearing other Democrats speak out in the last 24 hours, I don't get the sense that there's been any change in mood, that, that you're going to have about you know 40 to 50 members of the House, all Democrats, calling for a permanent ceasefire, calling to, to use this moment to, to have a more you know, to essentially prevent Israel from from continuing its operations against Hamas. But I, you know, the big question is whether that, that number is going to grow significantly. I'm not sensing that from my own conversations. Um, you know, I think I think on the substance, uh, it, the mood in Israel is is pretty resolute. Um, in that, whether you talk to the left or the right, uh, they don't view the moment right now as a time to put a pause on taking out uh, Hamas's infrastructure and taking out Hamas's top political and, and military operatives. Uh, they don't – I think if you talk to Israeli military officials, they think the job is about 20 to 30 percent done, and they need to – you know, they're going to need to go to the south. They're, they still need to take out tunnels that uh, Hamas operatives have dug in deeply. That's where they store their weapons, where they store uh, you know, their military operations. Uh, that, that still needs to be done in the north, and then there's a whole operation left in the south, and there's still a lot of top Hamas officials. Not um, I'm not sure where the congressman got the number of 40,000 from, but they're certainly like top officials, including those who planned the October 7th massacre. They're still out there, and, and I think Israel's goal is to, to take them out, uh, just like we took out Osama bin Laden after eventually after after 9/11. You, you, Josh, like, like it or not, ago. I mean, you almost have to do it World War II style in a time in which it doesn't seem that the West will accept it. You have to go in there to do the best you can to separate the civilians. The best you can possibly do. But now you got to head south. And we're heading south is where we told the civilians to go. So that's where they're hiding. So the, the blood is on Hamas's hands. But how would you describe how it's viewed around the world? Well, it's a very sensitive operation because you, Israel has evacuated uh, the civilians to the south. And now there's got to be humanitarian corridors uh, to get them. Uh, I, it, it, there's no, no, no good options, but there is likely going to be some kind of humanitarian passage in the coming days to try to prevent uh, civilian casualties. Mm -hmm. In a war, you obviously have the inevitable, inevitable degree of collateral damage. But, um, you know, I think the, uh, the, the real question is, you know, what, 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 how, how long Israel sees this, this military operation going? Uh, the south is a big part of, I mean, a lot of the Hamas operatives escape to the south. They're kind of, you know, down, now down and entrenched in the south and making sure that they can be targeted effectively. And the tunnels, I mean, these tunnels, uh, that this whole infrastructure, this underground infrastructure that Hamas has built up over the years has been really the, the, the major part of this operation, eliminating that and preventing Hamas from having this kind of ability, mm. uh, this infrastructure to commit terror attacks in the future. So the, what about this divide in the White House? The White House, to some degree, has have a divide reportedly between his senior longtime aides and an array of young staffers, diverse backgrounds. I think in the Washington Post today, it said top advisors said they recognize the conflict has hurt America's global standing. We're taking a lot of water of on Israel on behalf of Israel itself. The White House also insists it has influenced Israel's military tactics, pointing out more than 100 aid trucks have been on the average. It was about 20, whatever it was. 
But the divide within a White House and as well as the State Department is something to to this degree. I don't remember. Usually when you hire people, they agree with you on things like this. Yeah, well, you, I think you, you that's the Washington Post story. And I think you, you put it put it pretty, pretty clearly in, in the story from the story that the senior officials, the people who are in charge, are, are resolutely behind Israel. Uh, if they're looking but at they're the demanding policies. a meeting with the needed done in order to express their views and right. change policies. Well, they're, they're holding therapy sessions essentially for younger staffers who disagree with the policy but don't want to resign as a result of uh, their disagreements. So, look, you, you you are seeing this this divide between the youngest, uh, mostly progressive uh, Democrats who are, are much more critical of Israel than we've seen in quite some time and rank and file Democrats, older Democrats, Jewish Democrats, certainly <laughs> that are uh, not only supportive of Israel, but speaking out and, and criticizing, frankly, a lot of those on the far left. Who have been, um, you know, against their ability to, to, to fight against, fight back against Hamas? Um, these divisions are real, by the way. I mean, the politics are a no-win for the White House. I mean, this is not—you never want your party to be uh, divided at all on, on any issue. And this is one that, even though I think, if you look at the data, the you know the more Democrats that are pro-Israel, but there are a lot of vocal progressives. Right. And we've we've talked about this on so many issues, Brian. That there there are issues on cultural issues, on woke issues, where you have this slice of the, the progressive base of the Democratic Party that takes a different position than a lot of the rank and file and certainly the uh, leadership. And that's going to continue to be a problem for, for and it's going to continue to challenge this White House. So, Josh, let's talk about the package that they're working on that Schumer wants to get done before the holidays. And he wants to get done with the Defense Authorization Act. He wants to get uh, aid to Taiwan, Ukraine and Israel. And those are the two predominantly areas he wants to get judges confirmed. But in this particular, here's Mike Turner on the chances of that happening. Uh, he weighed in last night, and he does not believe that the whole thing should happen. He doesn't believe the whole thing should happen unless you include the border. Listen, cut 14. I think it would be very difficult to get it done by the end of the year. And the impediment currently is the White House policy on the southern border. Uh, the White House in this package, making including it as a national security package, recognizing that the southern border is a threat, put in funding, but it's going to need policy changes. Uh, Congress is going to require that there be laws changed to to make certain that the border returns to its prior state, you know, perhaps remain in Mexico, other types of provisions that would secure the southern border. So I think they might have some leverage here. And I think Democrats need to, they must know politically the border is going to kill them this time around. If abortion can't save them, even though it sounds ridiculous to say that, just as issues, your thoughts? I, I'm actually surprised the White House hasn't moved towards a deal on on, on the border because it's in their own political self-interest. It's, it's, if you look at the polls, the one of the weakest issues that Democrats have is being seen as too soft on, on border security, on, on having a you know tolerating a degree of open borders that that most Americans reject. Um, so I'm surprised that they wouldn't want to cut a deal. Uh, more, 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 at least openly on on border security in exchange for Ukraine funding. I guess Israel funding uh, that, that has much wider support. But uh, that, that that that, and I still think that may happen. But the White House needs to signal that it is not beholden to its um, more 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 activist base. I think it's in their political interest to kind of hold down the middle to show that they're Thought so. much more moderate. And that's not happened so far, on the, at least when it comes to immigration. Listen, this would be a, a win for him. It looked like he's reaching across the aisle. Uh, I know he'll alienate some some lunatics on the left. But, Josh, always educational to be with you. Thanks so much for the insider information. Josh Crashauer, thanks. thanks Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back at a couple of minutes before Carol Marquis joins us at the bottom of the hour. But I think it's also, I'm just looking at these polls right now about what's going on in the Republican Party. I mean, the fact is that you indict them, you give them 91 charges, four indictments. You have January 6th and all the controversy around it. And then you have the president of the United States, former president of the United States, beating Joe Biden head to head because they like his policies. But if anyone knows President Trump, say easy on the truth social late night. And we know he's not drinking, doesn't do any drugs. So no one has to worry. Nobody in the in the world thinks he's doing drugs or drinking. But there's no way it helps to put out these truth social rants, even though these judges are out. You could say they're out for him. You could say to Jack Smith. Is absolutely insane the way the aggression in which he's going after him. You compare it to the the lackadaisical way in which they're pursuing Joe Biden's documents that happened over a series of decades. I'm not saying it's not without merit. But if I'm leading and I'm calculated, I don't want to blow my lead. I'll take some shots because I don't want to blow my lead. I don't need any controversy right now. Having said that, You smartly stayed out of the debate, said, I like to go and debate, but there's too much to lose. If I have a bad debate, it could close the gap with everybody else. So I'm not going to do it. I'll be calculated about it. Mr. President, be calculated about your late night rants because you got to show that you cool under pressure. You can take a pounding and put the country's best interest first front and center. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are outliers, for sure. And the president has been wise to ignore those calls for ceasefire, which were reckless and misguided. Uh, And largely those outliers are speaking for their own political ends. But there is broad consensus amongst Democratic policymakers that President Biden has been drawing on his 50 years of foreign policy experience to walk a narrow tightrope over a wide chasm uh, quite effectively. Now, that's in sharp contrast to the Republican Party over Ukraine. This is the party that, as we heard from Senator Cotton, likes to invoke Ronald Reagan, the the man who helped liberate Ukraine from Russia. They're now prepared under the leadership of Donald Trump to hand Ukraine right back over to Russia. They are deeply divided by the leader but, of but, their party. But, but wait, uh, and just that a second is the there, contrast to, that is to, most critical. Well, I, I think that was a nice little spin, but it, uh, Mike, to, but you, what you just heard with Jake uh, Oshinloss, he's a congressman, a Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, is trying to glaze over a huge fracture in the Democratic Party. They can't figure out why so many Democrats seemed younger, seem to not only not be voting for Joe Biden, not supporting his stance in Israel. Indifferent on Ukraine because he never explains it and not going, not supporting him in his stance with Israel. Israel should be the easiest country in the world to support outside the U.K. But if you saw Manhattan Bridge yesterday, if you've seen the riots last week that defaced the legendary library in New York City, and if you've seen so many other protests around the country, some there is some disconnect here. Perhaps the most egregious is when it came out that The Guardian published a letter from bin Laden. And it was a letter to America from the now thankfully dead bin Laden. And he talked about how Israel's the problem, America's the bigger problem, and how evil we are thanks to our support of Israel. And people are saying how genius it is. And all these influencers are weighing in and saying their mind is blown. That did not – it's just madness to think just uh, 
9-11 was 22 years ago, and we're having probably deciding who the bad guys are. Carol Markowitz wrote about in Fox in uh, New York on the New York Post and joins us now. Carol, welcome back. Are you are you just befuddled about what we're witnessing right now? I am somewhat befuddled, but I've also seen this coming. Um, you know, I, I had a book out this year, Stolen Youth, which is largely about this problem that these kids have been indoctrinated in schools. They've been taught by very far left teachers who are all themselves indoctrinated at teachers' colleges. They're basically taught open Marxism and they're taught to think in a very specific binary way where there's a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes that that line is very difficult for them to discern so in the case of israel for example they are taught to find the oppressor and the oppressed and because israel is successful because people there are happy and free and love life that they're clearly the oppressor to them so what happens is you get these kids who are brainwashed for years and years in schools, and they end up not knowing, is bin Laden the good guy? Is bin Laden the bad guy? And you know what else they don't have is critical thinking, because I don't think that bin Laden letter is even real. And it's never been confirmed that's real. Our intelligence agencies have never confirmed that's real. And it reads to me like a bunch of nonsense. So I, I don't know that these kids are going very far, and it's kind of scary to watch. Carol, you know what's amazing? Remember the whole cancel culture thing? It happened with these celebrities mm -hmm. and coming out and saying, how dare you this and how dare you that? And next thing you know, they can't staff a movie unless they have enough uh, American right. Indians, Pakistanis mm -hmm. as key grips. They couldn't or else they're not going to be eligible for certain awards. All that uh, all that politically correct stuff blew up in all their faces. Some of them got canceled, end up in prison. Yeah. Others just realize this has got to stop. And guys like Bill Maher stood up and say, this is madness. I actually right. think when the doors close, Joe Biden sits around with Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, who I have no I'm not a fan of, and said, mm -hmm. what the hell just happened to our party? What did <laughs> right. we do? Well, I hope so, because I think that they've really destroyed so many people's lives. Uh, we're teaching this generation of kids that America, the greatest country in the history of the world is somehow the bad guy and evil and bad and 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 Osama bin Laden somehow speaks truth to power it's 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 a ridiculous joke i mean as you know you and i have talked about this in the past but i was born in the soviet union i have been grateful every single day that i get to be an american and believe me my kids hear about it all the time one thing i'll say is that I, as i was touring for the book around the country i heard from parents who were like i lost my kids to this crazy ideology and i would say to them like did you talk about your values in the home and a lot of them would just say no that they didn't they expected their schools to fill it in they, they live maybe in red areas they thought that their schools are safe and what they found is that their kids were learning that America is awful, that, you know, the rest of the world is so much better than us, that we're the oppressors. And they came home with this nonsense and couldn't relate to their parents anymore. It's, it's really scary. I think parents need to take this extremely seriously. If you see your kids heading down this path, I mean, it starts in the home. You have to tell them how lucky they are to be American. And you have to tell them often. Yes. Uh, and it's not propaganda. You also point out that the best thing about it is you could always uh, protest, make the country better any way you can. You could always take action. There's legal ways right. to do it. But when you block the Manhattan Bridge on the busiest day, on the busiest city uh, mm -hmm. in America, you expect people to win you over? Who's counseling these idiots who are asking right. for a ceasefire when we're in the middle of a ceasefire? <laughs> 
Right. That's the best part. But also there are no consequences to them. And it's part of a larger problem where I think people are seeing that there are no consequences to bad actions. There's a societal breakdown and New York really can't seem to get off that path. Is anything going to happen to the people that shut down the Manhattan Bridge? Is anything going to happen to the teacher, to the students who lock their teacher in, in a classroom because she dared go to a pro-Israel protest? Is, is any consequence to any of these people? I, I don't know that there's going to be. And I think that is really what leads to worse behavior because people are seeing that there's no repercussions, there's no consequence, nobody gets disciplined. And, you know, bad behavior leads to worse behavior. So what you're seeing now is a fracture in the Democratic Party, and I think Republicans deserve a lot of the negative attention with the blowing up of Kevin McCarthy. I think they deserve it. But almost immediately, we saw the fracture of the Democratic Party with the squad, and then it turns out the squad has a lot more support within their own party than anyone ever thought. Now, the way, which I think is terrible for the country, the way Democrats are going to solve this is they're going to say Republicans want to steal the rights of women and with right. abortion, and Donald Trump is the mm-hmm. second coming of Hitler and Mussolini. And that's not a, I'm not asking you to do an analogy. I'm asking you to read their quotes. So do you realize how much damage will it do to this country? In the scenario where Trump wins, 50% of the country will be convinced we elected Hitler because that's right. all they heard on every social media outlet, on every television show. Right. And the thing is that this is it's not actually just Donald Trump. I remember when George W. Bush was Hitler. I remember when Mitt Romney was Hitler. I remember when John McCain was Hitler. They're all Hitler. Right. Any all of any Republican that is even close to getting any power is Hitler. Um, And I think that the fact that we've let this kind of narrative go on and didn't, you know, I don't want to say cancel the people who use that kind of language, but we didn't come after them hard enough. They have, on the left, they have all these organizations like Media Matters and whatever. If a conservative says half a line, you know, out of, in in any way that doesn't fit what, what they think we should be saying, they come after us hard. But we've let this narrative of every Republican is Hitler or Mussolini or whatever go pretty unchecked for all these years. I think it's it's time for Republicans to really fight back and maybe present the united front on that to say that no Republican should be should be called those names and, and you stand up for them even if he's not your candidate. So I, I'd love to see some unity from Republicans on, if nothing else, just that narrow mm-hmm. you know, belief that maybe we shouldn't use that kind of language and the people that do should be punished for it. So you just reminded me, I'm on C-SPAN last weekend. And one of the callers, they just opened up the phones, and I was talking about Teddy and Booker T. And obviously, mm-hmm. uh, the segregation is south. Nobody whitewashes how bad it was with lynchings and poll taxes and uh, separate but not equal, right. everything. We know that. And mm-hmm. nobody who wants to change it. So I got one of these calls that said, Brian, congratulations on the book. Do you realize that Ron DeSantis will ban it because he does not <laughs> want to talk about slavery and racism? Yeah, and, right. I, and, uh-huh. and they were being serious. And I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm. do you understand – well, you're talking about, he goes, no, but Ron DeSantis is banning books. I go, yeah, mm-hmm. sexually explicit books for toddlers. They're not talking <laughs> about getting rid of slavery. Anti-American, uh, anti-American books for teens. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no reason for it in the schools. I, and I realized he was being sincere to a right. degree. I mean, that, because they spun it. They spun mm-hmm. it out. He's looking to ban books. He's denying slavery. No, he mm-hmm. isn't. And I think Republicans got to get better at pushing back. 
I agree. And I, look, I think Ron DeSantis does a really great job of pushing back. I think that these people are lied to by their media sources. I, I could see Teddy and Booker T being used in Florida schools yeah. ahead of any other state. Um, and, you know, of course, in states like California, you have you have actual book bannings where they actually ban certain books from the classroom. Classics, you know. Um, and so you have a situation where these people are fully lied to. They believe, you know, you can't say gay in Florida and nonsense like that. I think DeSantis does a good job of pushing back, especially on the book stuff, where he, when he began to read from the books that he does not consider appropriate for the school libraries, the news shows had to pull away because they couldn't show it on TV. If you can't show it on TV, you can't have it in my kids' elementary school library, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's a joke that that these people have been brainwashed to believe such a crazy thing. Mm. I have kids in the Florida school system; they absolutely learn about slavery. They absolutely don't have a positive portrayal of slavery all of that is is just nonsense right and the last thing when Ron DeSantis came out and said when slaves uh, were free they had skills he -hmm. wasn't saying he was just bringing up the fact that they had a trade and the whole problem you all he had to do was further explain it it doesn't mean it was they wouldn't rather have an education it just means they could do stuff and you know who couldn't a lot of white people they had no they couldn't do anything so the, he was pointing something out, but I thought he, he just said, ah, I'm going to move on. And I thought, man, that was an opportunity to further define what he, what he meant by that. But lastly, when you have school choice in Florida, the only negative to that, and I was talking to someone, is a lot of these private schools like their curriculum and, and like to be able to screen their students. For example, not yeah. everyone in Long Island got into Chaminade, Holy Trinity, and Kellenberg. They had to take a mm-hmm. test. Yeah. When you have school choice... Are you asking those private schools to lower their standards? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting because I think that in Florida, I I haven't seen the, like, official numbers, but very few kids have actually taken the school choice option and gone to private schools. I would say that it's partly because of the Ron DeSantis model for the public schools where you kind of feel – safer in the public schools in terms of all the woke nonsense. He does not have control over private schools and what they teach in private schools. So if you want to keep your kids away from porn in the school libraries, and if you want to teach them, you know, have them away from a woke curriculum, you're actually better off in Florida public schools than many private schools. I mean, not all. Some are, some are great and, and are not woke. But, you know, you, you run that risk when you switch your kids to the private school system. Uh, pick up her book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Carol, always thank great you, to Brian. talk to you. And thanks I'm for the interview. I'm right now. Yes, thank, thank you. I can't. I'm, yeah. I'm into it. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. That was fantastic. <laughs> thanks so much, Brian. All right. Uh, Carol Markowitz, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. That is my favorite bump in music, if I had to make a decision. Uh, actually, it reminds me of the, and you guys remember this, the MLS uh, inaugural season, they played that all the time in 1996, right here, right now, meaning they finally have professional soccer at the high level in, in America. Now, Pete, with all your sports knowledge, did you have, do you, do you associate the two? You oh, associate the MLS and right here, right now. I remember this like it was like it just happened. Right. right now. Do you, can you want to name some teams in the original MLS? There was New York and New Jersey teams. Right. Metro Stars. Thanks for playing. 
Appreciate it. There was Colorado Rapids, and then all of a sudden they scored big game FC crazy. Now they got way too many teams, and they got to, because they want to. I think it's like twenty million to get in right now. It's it's incredible. I mean, what twenty million? It's like a hundred million. I think Beckham paid like twenty million because he said, "If I come to America, I want a franchise." He said, "Fine," at the rate it is right now, and then he waited fifteen years. It never moved. So we got the Miami franchise for what we consider very cheap, and then he got Messi, who's not cheap. But he will sell out every stadium. And I've given you soccer information that you probably were not looking for. But I do have a great I have an announcement for you. The Qatari foreign minister, who's been doing much of the hostage brokering, just tweeted confirmation that they have reached an agreement to extend the humanitarian truce for an additional two days in the Gaza Strip, which means, which I extrapolate to mean, because the uh, Israelis have made it quite apparent that they said, I need 10 a day, 10 and I'll pause, 10 or I'll pause. I need the names, I need confirmation, and I'll pause. The minute I don't get those names, we go, we go back to beating the hell out of you again. And that's going to happen. And I think they're still exploring the tunnels in the north, and I think it, it really irks a lot of military experts who are doing this. But how? what choice do you have? I mean, when you see the reunion with nine-year-olds and their family, when you see this little girl whose both her parents were blown away and her home wiped out, and she was taken hostage to go ahead, the only uh, girl, uh, Abigail, uh, the only girl to the only girl to uh, American to be released so far. How do you say? Well, it doesn't matter. Of course, it matters. But Hamas knew exactly what they were doing. Americans care about uh, the West cares about their people. Uh, Israelis care about their people to the point where on a three to one margin, they will let them out as opposed to you. Give me one Israeli. Give me one American. Give me one Westerner, one hostage. and We'll give you three of your criminals back. Criminals. So now it's going to be there's a huge push to keep this ceasefire in place. You've heard me play uh, some different congressmen on, on the left. And you know that behind the scenes, Joe Biden is no doubt about it. According to Dan Senor and others, pressuring Netanyahu to to scale it back and not go for wiping them out. Now they're talking about them getting out, forcing Hamas out of the Gaza Strip. Really? Forcing, where are they going to go? West Bank, where they seem to be wildly popular? Here's Jake Sullivan. Cut four. It could be that the pause is extended for another day or two days or three days or even more. The ball is in Hamas's court on that because what Israel has said is that it is prepared to pause another day of fighting for every 10 hostages that Hamas releases. So Hamas could choose on uh, Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday to continue to release hostages, and then the pause would continue. Right, and they'll, the probably ble- stopped- uh, they'll probably bleed them out. So he was asked, Jonathan Carl asked a good question, cut five. If you look at the celebrations, we'll show it now uh, in the West Bank as the Palestinian prisoners were released. Some of the people celebrating were waving Hamas flags and chanting, the people want Hamas. Are you concerned that this deal has given a, a huge propaganda victory, a reward for Hamas for what they've done? Well, I can't deny that, that Hamas gained some benefits from this deal. One of them is the ability to refit and retool inside Gaza. Another is to try to use social media and other formats to generate some propaganda out of it. Uh, And these are difficult decisions that any Israeli prime minister has to make. But this Israeli prime minister made this decision because of the benefit that came with it, which is 50 innocent people. And they got 50 plus out and they're supposed to get 10 more. 
Uh, listen, just a quick announcement. Teddy and Booker T, it was great seeing everyone over the weekend, as I mentioned, on Long Island. I'm going to be at the Little Point Bookshop at Point Pleasant Beach in New Jersey on the 29th. That is Wednesday. December 1st, Eureka, Missouri is sold out thanks to KFTK. December 2nd, I'll be at the George W. Bush Presidential Library. Just go to my website, briankilme.com, and just get reservations. Parker Heights, Texas at 11 o'clock, also on December 2nd. December 3rd, the next day, I go to beautiful Fairhope, Alabama, the best secret in America, at the Page and Palette. I hope to see everybody there. Then I'll be in Dayton, Ohio, and go to briankilme.com and order now. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.